Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Atlanta's... No, that's the other show. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious. It, 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 it's just... It, I'm sorry. It's one of those things. I, I am texting like three or four different people as the show starts. I wasn't paying attention to the clock. My, I'm I'm confused. We And I'm confused because we have breaking news. It is Eric Erickson here. This is the Eric Erickson Show. If you would like to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC. That's 877-973-7425. Uh, through the hiccups into the breaking news. Gordon Sondland, the U.S. ambassador to the European Union, is now being prohibited from the White, by the White House from being uh, from testifying today. He was supposed to testify to the House of Representatives on the impeachment inquiry. Well, it's not even the impeachment inquiry. He was expected to testify to the House Intelligence Committee uh, in the investigation fishing expedition that might lead to an impeachment inquiry. And the White House this morning said no. Uh, not allowed to do it. Uh, now, this is actually... <laughs> uh, listen, I want to put off the impeachment stuff until later because I feel like I've been talking about it every morning at 9, and, and I don't want to do that. Um, the impeachment inquiry stuff, we can push it, but this is breaking news. And what's so funny here is, do you know the complaint from members of Congress? Bipartisan complaining from members of Congress. Bipartisan complaining. Um, it is that they all came back. Republicans and Democrats alike came back, uh, for this hearing and the president waited until they were all there. They came back early. They weren't scheduled to come back to Washington until today, but Democrats and Republicans alike came back to Washington last night so that they could be there first thing this morning for Gordon Sondland's testimony. Gordon Sondland himself came over from the European Union. Uh, he's a hotelier. He's a friend of Donald Trump's. Uh, he was appointed as European Union ambassador. Um, the European Union ambassador is always a big donor. Uh, the Obama administration did it. The Bush administration, the Clinton administration, has always been an, a uh, fancy, prestigious pick. Kind of like uh, the London ambassador and the, the, uh, the, the British ambassador and the French ambassador. They live in palaces and they are super rich donors of presidents. And uh, that's who they pick. Well, Gordon Sunland won't be testifying now. His lawyers say he can't do it. Uh, he can't do it because the White House has said uh, there's a they're not going to cooperate with the Democrats on this. The Democrats are saying that this will be part of obstruction of justice. But, you know, th there is legitimacy to the president uh, not allowing his ambassador to testify. What I mean by that is that the president of the United States uh, gives advice to and receives advice from his ambassadors and he is allowed executive privilege so democrats republicans alike both complaining that they showed up last night had to suffer through a night in washington last night um and are there this morning to hear the testimony and now they won't hear it they had to come back anyway at least last night they were all able to upgrade I mean, seriously, if you go to Washington like today, if you're at Hartsfield today trying to fly out on the Delta flights, Delta has flights every hour uh, out of, of two dead mayors international airport in Atlanta. 
Hartsfield and Jackson. Uh, so two dead mares international airport. They have flights every hour to Washington, DC. I, I have made these flights many times. And if you go on a Tuesday morning, you're going to run into, uh, John Lewis. You're going to run into Hank Johnson. You're going to run into Austin Scott. You're going to run into David Perdue. You're going to run into, um, all of them. Johnny Isaacson typically goes up on a Monday, Typically, um, he takes a little more time. He gets up there and gets settled in on a Monday. Uh, I've seen him. I've been walking off planes on Monday evening and seen Johnny Isaacson there. Last time was with Haley Barber. They were standing in line at, in Atlanta uh, to board the plane. I was coming off. It was Haley Barber, uh, the former chairman of the RNC and governor of Mississippi, with Johnny Isaacson. Now, actually, I, and I take that back. Uh, David Perdue, typically, uh, he can get down to Jacksonville and he can, or he can fly private. You know, he, he's got some money. <laughs> I tease, I tease. Nonetheless, um, so these Tuesday flights are always slammed going to Washington because you got the lobbyists going up there, you got the congressman going up there, so you can never get an upgrade. On a Monday, you can almost always get upgraded. And if you're a congressman, typically you're flying in the back of the plane. And the reason you're flying in the back of the plane is, one, you want to be seen with the people. But more importantly, Congress gives you a limited budget uh, with, which to, um, with which to fly back and forth to your district. And if you fly first class all the time, you max out that budget and then you got to pay out of your own pocket. Uh, and the airlines used to upgrade the members of Congress. There was a time, this was before I was flying up to Washington, but there was a time where the first class was packed full of congressmen because the airlines would upgrade all the members of Congress. They knew who they were. They wanted to keep them happy. Well, Congress ultimately, as a good governance measure, got banned that as a gratuity, as a gift to members of Congress. So the airlines can't upgrade them anymore. They actually got to pay to sit in the front. And the airlines were perfectly happy with that. The airlines love it um, because you got to pay now to sit in first class. And they get to give first class seats to their diamond medallion people. And occasionally, members of Congress fly back and forth so much they become diamond medallion. But nonetheless, um, so these people had to fly up there Monday for a hearing this morning that has now been canceled. Meanwhile, the president this morning tweeted out that um, Turkey is a good friend and helps us with the F-35 program and we should remember what good friends we are with Turkey and and as a sign of that they help us with the F-35 program. Uh, We have also, by the way, thrown um, them out of the F-35 program. Just so you are aware, let me read you the president's tweet. Uh, This tweet is from this morning at 8.30 a.m. So many people conveniently forget Turkey is a big trading partner of the United States. In fact, they make the structural steel frame for our F-35 fighter jet. They have also been good to deal with, helping me to save many lives in Idlib province and returning in very good health at my request, Pastor Brunson who had many years a long prison term remaining. Also remember and important that Turkey is an important member in good standing of NATO. He is coming to the U.S. as my guest on November 13th. That would be Erdogan. Um, except uh, this morning, hitting the, we actually, it, this story is from July 17th, actually, that we threw Turkey out of the F-35 fighter jet program. So the president's a little behind the news this morning. Okay, now, can we get into, I would rather not talk about impeachment right now because it just goes ad nauseum. I got to talk about this story with Elizabeth Warren. Nate Silver is the head of 538. Nate Silver is the editor-in-chief, 538. It's 538, if you don't know. 538 was a website that Nate Silver put together. He is a statistician. He came to fame in uh, Moneyball for baseball, running the stats, 
and he started applying his Moneyball statistics from baseball to elections and election prognostications. Well, in 2008, running against John McCain, no, 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 2012, running against Mitt Romney, the Obama campaign let Nate Silver see the internal polling for the Obama team. And Nate Silver came to prominence as being an accurate prognosticator of what the election was going to turn out to be. He got it right on the money. And people heralded him as some sort of genius. And only afterwards did he reveal that the Obama team had let him see their internal polling. Internal polling, just as an aside, you have two things uh, in politics regarding polling. You have public polling and internal polling. In, and Well, a third, internal polling revealed. Public polling is the polling done by news organizations, and typically it is um, 300 to 500 people. You get a statistical sampling, you get a margin of error of 3 or 4%, uh, but you can, if you do enough, you can show the trend lines in an election, where things are going to go. Uh, an internal poll by a campaign typically uses an order of magnitude more than that. You have a, a professional pollster who has some very professional modeling who polls 1,500, 2,000 people um, to some degree or does 300 people but polls 300 people every day as opposed to 300 people spread out over three days. So you get a much more accurate sample. <clears throat> That's why internal polling for campaigns is, uh, I mean, it, it's gold. It is not released by campaigns, which leads me to the third sort of internal polling. Occasionally, campaigns will have an internal poll and they release it and they release it to show that what they're seeing is different from what the media does. You cannot believe internal polling released to the public because it is designed to generate a news story. It is not designed to show what is happening. Now, sometimes it's accurate. Sometimes it is accurate. Oftentimes, it's not accurate. Sometimes, for example, a, a candidate, for example, Teresa Tomlinson here in Georgia, may release a poll that shows she's only seven points behind David Perdue. And the message is not to show that, oh, look, David Perdue's in trouble, but to say, oh, look, I'm doing better than the other Democrats running against David Perdue. That's why you should throw money my way. Yes, I'm losing, but not losing as badly. I don't know if she did it. I seem to recall she did it, but I don't know. Anyway, um, so you have public polling, you have internal polling, and you have internal polling made public. Never believe internal polling made public. Uh, the, the public polling from newsrooms actually is not that bad. I realize a, as a conservative, as a Republican, I'm supposed to say it's terrible. I was in this business for a while running campaigns. I did campaign management, campaign consultant. I, I helped shape polls. Uh, by and large, polling is good, but, 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 but. It needs to be candidate polling. Public opinion polling based on public policy is always terrible. Never believe public opinion polling based on public policy unless you have literally decades of research behind it. So, for example, we know that most Americans are pro-life because we have 40 years of polling from Gallup on this question, and it is widely believed and considered by both sides that their question is objectively fair. Do you consider yourself pro-life or pro-choice? They use the terminology that both sides use, pro-life and pro-choice. Everyone agrees. Not one of them is not anti, are you anti-abortion or pro-abortion? Nobody wants to consider themselves either label. Uh, and they've done this for about 40 years, and you can track the polling and see it's pretty good. 
when you ask people, for example, um, do you support gun control? Um, well, majority of Americans will say they support gun control. Well, what is gun control? It's when you ask, uh, do you support universal background checks? Yes. Okay. Do you support a father having to run a background check on his son if he uh, wants to give his gun or sell his gun to his son? No. Most Americans don't support that. Well, a majority of Americans support universal background checks. That's part of universal background checks. See? Public opinion polling, you can shape it however you want to shape it. Uh, you, When you focus on candidates, do you support Elizabeth Warren or Joe Biden or Donald Trump? That's much more precise. Uh, so Nate Silver, is, what a segue in polling. Nate Silver, who did all of this, has put up a tweet. I don't know this is a particularly serious scandal for Elizabeth Warren. Maybe it's something that just requires a clear explanation from her campaign. But it's interesting that it's circulating on both conservative Twitter and Bernie Twitter, but getting almost no mainstream pickup. Hmm. What could he be talking about? Well, there is a story out that Elizabeth Warren has been telling a fable yet again on the campaign trail. Elizabeth Warren has claimed that she was fired for being pregnant by a school board in Riverdale, New Jersey. Well, it turns out the Riverdale Board of Education approved a second-year teaching contract for Elizabeth Warren, contradicting her claims that she was asked not to return to teaching after a single year because she was visibly pregnant. Minutes obtained from an April 21st, 1971 Riverdale Board of Education meeting obtained by the Washington Free Beacon show the board voted unanimously on a motion to extend Warren a second-year contract for a two-days-per-week teaching job. That job is similar to the one she held the previous year, her first year of teaching. Minutes from a board meeting held two months earlier on June 16th, 1971 indicate that Warren's resignation was accepted with regret. Warren's claim that she was dismissed after her first year of teaching because she was pregnant has become a cornerstone of her campaign speeches. She has used it to both explain her jump from teaching into the legal world, as well as to showcase the difficulties women face in the workplace. The principal of the school she worked at in the 1970s, uh, Warren had said, showed her the door at the end of the school year because she was visibly pregnant. Warren's campaign did not respond for comment uh, to the Board of Education uh, records. The documents emerge at a time Warren has surged. Ahead of the fourth Democratic debate next week, the Massachusetts senator is running neck and neck with Vice President Joe Biden. The Real Clear Politics polling average shows her trailing Biden by just three-tenths percent nationally and leading him by 2.7 percent in Iowa. Well, here we go. Her claims came under scrutiny from journalist Megan Day of a left-wing magazine who noted that Warren's story appeared to have changed over the year. In a 2007 interview Warren gave at the University of California, Berkeley, she suggested she left her teaching job after realizing that graduate school classes required her to obtain a teaching certificate and they weren't going to work out for her. In her book, A Fighting Chance, she uh, claims that uh, the two weren't necessarily incompatible. By the end of the school year, I was pretty obviously pregnant, the principal did what I think a lot of principals did back then, wish me luck, didn't ask me back the next school year, and hired someone else for the job. She worked as a speech pathologist. The Board of Education minutes show a part-time contract for her the first year of teaching received unanimous approval. 
And then she got the second year approval. So here's the thing. Elizabeth Warren has lied about her ethnic identity, and she has clearly now lied about this. I'm old enough to remember when the media told us that Donald Trump's lying about random things in his bio were signs of trouble. Here is Elizabeth Warren lying about her ethnicity and lying about being fired while pregnant. And the media is not even covering the story outside of something, a conservative publication like the Washington Free Beacon and Fox News. The, this is one reason so many people will not believe anything the media says about impeachment. Why should they believe anything the media says about impeachment? Because they're willing to do air cover for all these Democrats. It is Eric Erickson here. Welcome back. Okay, so Elizabeth Warren making up her biography. Oh, well, in other Democratic news, Joe Biden still doesn't want to talk about poor little Hunter. Cannot bring himself. I I want to circle back to some audio I played yesterday. Uh, The Democrats in defense mode on this, but there's a story there. Let let me first play this uh, Cory Booker audio. And it's my job to ask questions, so I'm going to ask you another one that you may not want to answer. But are questions about Hunter (laughs) Biden fair? Are, Are questions about Hunter Biden fair in the context of a president who is accused of doing really what I would think were unimaginable things. As I said, shocking me, is it questions about Hunter Biden in this context? Somebody who has been investigated, somebody who from the Ukrainians to Americans to Europeans, there's no evidence whatsoever. So no, it is not fair that the president of the United States is trying to get all of us to be talking about someone else other than him. What he has engaged in is despicable behavior that was warned about by our founding fathers, by letting foreign governments try to intervene in our elections, and he is doing just that. I'm just going to stop it there. The, the clip goes on a little longer. Uh, are, are we not concerned about foreign governments buying influence into our government? Um, here's Terry Moran from ABC. Joe Biden, at the very least, has a conflict, had an appearance of a conflict of interest in Ukraine. Maybe he shouldn't have been that administration's point person when his son was buck-raking off of his name in one of the most corrupt countries in the world. And and that is going to be raised by Democrats at some point, uh, certainly by Republicans. It, it, is, it is a definitional appearance of conflict of interest. Cat meat kettle. I mean, the Trump family is probably more entrenched with foreign governments and their business dealings I mean, when you compare the two, it's like you cannot even. But we begin are in, to, we're in a populist moment when the notion that because daddy is your vice is vice president of the United States, you get to make a lot of money. That's but if he's president, you can get trademarks in right. China and business development. Exactly. What about him has become the last refuge of America? And so that's it's what's not, so funny about this is that, you know, the, the hypocrisy of it. Well, so not, so not, only, not only is it something we're going to hear from the president and Republicans, but as Terry said, mark my word, this will be used as we get down in the primary process by either the Democratic opponents against Joe Biden or super PACs that want to raise the issue. Yeah, notice the one guy. What about ism? What about ism? The last refuge. Well, you know, it's not what about ism. Uh, the Democrats don't want to talk about it at all. Well, now there's this. I'm told he did not want to sit down for interviews or other things this week because he didn't want to you know, specifically be asked a lot of Hunter Biden-like questions. Yeah, that's about Joe Biden. Joe Biden won't even sit for interviews this week to be asked about Hunter Biden. Listen, I realize Hunter is his son and has all sorts of problems, and I realize his other son died. But still, but still, he had to have known this was going to be an issue. He had to have known this was going to be an issue. 
and he didn't know. He, he, he can't come up with a response. He's been given ample opportunity to come up with a response and has declined to do so. How is the Biden team this bad? And this isn't just Biden. This is his team. How is it this bad? Um, pretty bad, actually. Pretty bad. And they need to come up with answers. They're not going to. And that's why Elizabeth Warren probably is going to be the Democratic nominee now. So while this China situation continues to uh, blow up with the NBA and, and what happened there, Daryl Morey, the uh, general manager of um, the Houston Rockets, uh, basically uh, just tweeted out, uh, stand with Hong Kong, and that blew up. Uh, Joe Tsai, who's the co-founder of Alibaba, he's he's a uh, commie Chinese, now owns uh, the Nets. Uh, he's blasted um, Daryl Morey and, and defended China. James Harden from the Houston Rockets has, has come out and apologized to China. The NBA bending over backwards. Andrew Silver released a very tepid we support free speech defense of Daryl Morey, uh, the general manager for the Houston Rockets, and China is now blowing up uh, Andrew Silver for his tepid response. See, they say from the um, Chinese propaganda network, uh, we are strongly dissatisfied and we oppose Silver's claim to support Morey's right of free expression. We believe that any speech that challenges national sovereignty and social stability is not within the scope of freedom of speech. Of course, that is precisely what is within the freedom of speech. Crazy. In any event, it's the Eric Erickson Show here. If you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, 877-973-7425. Here's, uh, the, listen to this discussion on CNN, where even on CNN, they're, they're beside themselves, uh, it just, just shocked over this situation. China responds, demanding a quote-unquote correction. And the NBA gives it, essentially. I mean, in, here's, let me read part of the NBA statement saying, we recognize that the views expressed by Houston Rockets general manager Daryl Morey have deeply offended many of our friends and fans in China, which is regrettable. I mean, this may be about offending in part. This may be about basketball in part. This is about money, but this is about freedom. This is about human rights. This is about a geopolitical mess. Well, first of all, the statement that you just read was the English language statement. The Chinese language statement that was delivered by the NBA was actually different and much more apologetic. What? Uh, believe it or not. Yeah, I know, no one's advising these people, obviously, but no, the, the, it's quite something. The, the Chinese market is important to the NBA. They think it's their future. A lot of Chinese are really into basketball. There's a lot of money there. And so when the Chinese say, how can you possibly say this, one of your GMs supporting Hong Kong, what the NBA should have said is, hey, we, we do not take political stances. What he says stands for itself. I, I actually heard about this originally. Um, I was talking to my friend Ennis Cantor, who is the Celtics center, right. but is strongly anti-Erdogan in Turkey and has been very public about that because they've imprisoned his father. But the NBA supported him. The NBA has never had a problem with him making political statements and, and he's Ennis. I mean, the NBA isn't going to say we as a league don't like Erdogan, but they're not trying to muzzle their player. There is only one difference here and the difference is Chinese cash. And South Park, for example, uh -huh. just shut down today in China. Why? Because the Chinese didn't like what South Park had to say about the Chinese. They're vastly more powerful economically today than they were five, ten years ago. And American corporations, if you want to do business there, are saying, what can we do to facilitate 
you. And that means we're going to censor ourselves, we're going to censor our employees, and we'll, we'll fire them if there's a problem. The Americans are going to have to get used to this reality. No, I, I don't think we should get used to this reality. This is outrageous. You know, China tried to bully American airlines into taking Taiwan off their maps. I'm not kidding you. Uh, the uh, American airlines were encouraged by China to stop labeling Taiwan on maps, on their in-flight maps and in their in, in their in-flight magazines where they show the routes, which is crazy in and of itself. Uh, they, they did not want the dis- uh, distinction made. And, and some of the airlines uh, caved. I don't believe Delta did, actually. Now, my understanding is that uh, United did and American did. But Delta did not. American doesn't have a huge presence over there anyway. United has a huge presence, and they caved. Delta did not. Now, I, I want to play this by, by Clay Travis because he makes some additional points we need to add into this conversation. Adam Silver eliminated the word owner because he believed it was racially insensitive and offensive to use the word owner. He replaced it with governor. So the commissioner of the NBA is more offended by the use of the word owner in the United States of America than he is by being forced to apologize to a communist country with oodles of human rights violations because an American citizen had the gall to say he supported democracy. As if that were not bad enough. The NBA set the precedent a couple of years ago when they pulled their all-star game out of Charlotte, North Carolina over a transgender bathroom bill debate. Now, the NBA got woke here for no reason. Charlotte, North Carolina didn't do anything wrong. The state of North Carolina hadn't done anything wrong. Yet the NBA pulled their all-star game out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, they are going to China, to communist China, where people don't have rights, where people don't have basic freedoms, where in Hong Kong people are protesting and standing up for the rights of basic democracy that we take for granted in this country, and not one NBA player, not, uh, not LeBron James, not any of the warriors who have been so critical of Donald Trump, not Steph Curry, not Kevin Durant, not one player has actually come out to support Daryl Morey saying, hey, Democracy is a good thing in this world. Not one player. Worst of all, not one coach has either. The minute that they actually can have an impact, do you know what they do? All these players, all these coaches, the commissioner, everybody, Adam Silver, Greg Popovich, Steve Kerr, LeBron James, James Harden, they all turn tail and curl up in the fetal position and let China treat them like a bunch of punks. Yep, that was Clay Travis, uh, the sports commentator, who also pointed out that you you know which network has conspicuously not engaged on this issue? ESPN. Now, ESPN is saying, well, I thought you people didn't want us to talk about politics. Well, this is kind of a big sports story. You're not weaving politics into stories like ESPN was doing. This actually is a story. This actually is a thing. And ESPN isn't covering it. Do you know why? ESPN is owned by Disney. And Disney really doesn't want to make the Chinese unhappy right now. Why? Because Disney depends on China to help it get its billion-dollar box offices. This is... Not a good thing. 
but it's not just the NBA. Remember, Hollywood changed Top Gun. The, 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 the Top Gun sequel. The Top Gun sequel was going to be about engagement, military engagement with China. China. And now it's not. They digitally altered the movie to avoid offending the Chinese. Hollywood is desperate to make money in China. And then there's Apple. Recall, Apple it makes a bunch of its stuff in China. Bunches of its stuff in China. Apple will never want to anger China or it can't produce its iPhones. That is the reality. And Apple accidentally, stupidly, people close to the close to the company say, deleted an app that was being used by Hong Kong protesters. They have subsequently, after American outrage, they've allowed the app back in. Makes you wonder how secure it is. Remember, um, Apple also complied with China. And now if you are in China, you have to use uh, iCloud services that are held on a server in China. No one else's is, no one else's is, but if you live in China, all of your iCloud data is backed up to the cloud in China, and the servers are in China, so the Chinese authorities can check the servers. Apple doesn't want to anger them, but then Google doesn't want to anger them either. You know the one big tech company that won't do business in China? Facebook, because Facebook does not want to kowtow to the Chinese. And then there's Blizzard Entertainment. This is, this is one of the craziest ones I've heard. Uh, Blizzard Entertainment uh, is a um, it's a software company. It makes uh, online streaming games. Blizzard Entertainment said it was suspending a player of the on- online game Hearthstone for a year and was forcing him to forfeit prize money. What was his sin that could get him banned for a year and force him to forfeit uh, prize money. He spoke out in favor of Hong Kong dissidents in a live stream. But that's not the only one. Then there's South Park. South Park released an episode called Banned in China. Uh, B-A-N-D. Banned in China. You get it? And they've been shut down now. South Park has been deleted from the internet in China. See, what I, I I realize it's hard for you at a at a theoretical level to understand this. But there are a series of tubes around the world uh, that make up the internet. There are cables under the ocean and in, additionally there are satellites. And into the United States there are multiple access points for let, let's see oceanic internet cables connections i'm yes i'm googling um there are multiple access points in the united states for these cables that travel around the world the new york times did a, did a fantastic uh visualization of how all of these things work and these cables come in uh there are junction points in san francisco there are junction points in New York, uh, in Boston, uh, L.A., uh, Seattle, Vancouver, Miami. They're building them in Jacksonville and Savannah even. And they stream all over the world. 
and they spread out all over the world. Uh, they go into multiple access points in Europe and South America. They go into multiple access points in um, all over the world, except in China. In China, they go into two locations, northern China and southern China, to Shanghai and somewhere near Beijing. Uh, along the coast near Beijing, um, they go in. Uh, Tianjin, that's it, Tianjin. Uh, so Shanghai and Tianjin are where the cables come in for China. And they go through one facility in each location. And from those locations, they spread out to all billion people in China. See, in the United States, you've got multiple access points, and they're by private companies. Uh, so you've got an access point in Vancouver, Canada, that then filters in. You've got one in Seattle. There's one um, on the, the coast of Oregon that comes in, in Coos Bay. There's one in San Francisco. There's one in Los Angeles. There's one in San Diego. There's one in Miami. There's one uh, coming into Jacksonville. There's one coming into Savannah here. There's a line that goes in near Washington, D.C. There's a line that goes in in New York. There's a line that goes in in Boston. And those connect around the world. And that's how the Internet gets around the world. In addition, there are satellite uplinks. So you, But it's faster. The cable, the fiber optic cable is actually faster than the satellite. See, we don't think about it, but the satellite, you, you got to go up 100,000 miles and come back. With the whole planet of the world, what, 24,000 miles around? So you're either shooting all the way up into the atmosphere, 100,000 miles up, 100,000 miles back for a 200,000-mile round trip, or you just got a cable that goes 24,000 miles around the world. It's a lot quicker with the cables than the satellite. Sometimes you have to use satellite. That is by one reason, by the way, that um, satellite companies, satellite internet companies are slower and have more latency because they got to go all the way up. People don't realize how far up those satellites are. They're 100,000 miles up. They're further than the diameter around the planet. So you got these cables around the world, but to go into China, there are two checkpoints, a Tianjin and Shanghai. And they go into facilities run by the government. And the satellite internet uplinks also go into those same facilities. They are controlled by the Chinese army, the People's Liberation Army. And they control the entire internet in China. There are no other access points to get into China for the internet. And they call it the Great Firewall of China. If you want to use the internet in China and connect to the outside world, you have to go through those facilities. And all of the internet that comes through those facilities is monitored by the Chinese government. Keywords are monitored, algorithms are monitored. So you got to be real careful what you're searching for because someone will show up at your house and arrest you. But not only that, a lot of stuff is blocked. And then inside China, they begin blocking stuff. So they have blocked in China Blizzard Entertainment until Blizzard Entertainment did what it did and took this guy off air for a year and took away his prize money for daring to support Hong Kong. The NBA has been taken off the airwaves in China. Uh, the Chinese uh, governmental entity that, that broadcast there signed a $1.4 billion deal. They took the NBA off for a week to punish the NBA for one person daring to speak up. They've punished American Airlines for showing Taiwan on maps. And what is the response? 
what is the response? The response from these Fortune 500 companies and sports teams has been, we're sorry, China, we're sorry. American corporations kowtowing to China. American corporations showing fealty and loyalty to China, not to the American way of life that has made them successful, not to our constitutional freedoms that have made them successful, but to Chinese money. They are willing to sell out the liberty of others for Chinese money. The NBA is perfectly willing to lecture you and me about transgender bathroom bans in North Carolina. They are perfectly willing to lecture you and me about gun control. But they won't even let a single employee of a single basketball team send out a single tweet in support of the people of Hong Kong because they do not want to offend Chinese communists. Keep that in perspective. Uh, just in, in case you're wondering, if you're in the Jasper area, you're, you're in Cartersville, Calhoun, you're in Rome, Dalton, uh, heck, over even over in Clarksville, in, in Blairsville, in Blue Ridge, just so you're, you know, um, the, the, the sky is not crying. It, it, that's, that's called rain. I, I know it's something you, you haven't seen before, but that's called rain. It, it is uh, scattered showers throughout North Georgia right now. If you're above I-20, uh, you got scattered showers. It's actually a line that runs from basically Carroll County all the way up um, uh, towards Young Harris and into North Carolina. I would love, I'm in Macon. I, I can't remember the last time we saw rain. I, I really, I have no idea. I had to turn on my sprinkler system the other day because I thought I was like stepping on something wrapper or something. No, it was the grass. The grass was just that crunchy. <sighs> we really, re there is, I am looking outside the window of my studio right now. I don't see clouds. It would really be nice. We are in drought conditions across the state of Georgia. It would be really, really nice if we had rain. We're supposed to get rain, I think, at some point this year, some sometime, maybe. I don't know. Uh, you know, speaking of climate change, we, we got climate protesters in, in Britain, uh, and they are calling themselves extinction protesters. Extinction protesters. And they are blocking hospitals. Extinction rebellion. Um, they're blocking hospitals and roads and public services if you want to go to the hospital, I, I, I wish I was making this up. I was telling my wife about this. She thought I was kidding. I'm, I'm not. Um, there's actually an article in the London Telegraph about this. Um, they're blocking people from going to the hospital. And they will give you permission of whether or not you are able to get there. And if they think you're not worth saving, you may not get to the hospital. They may keep you from getting to the hospital. If you're old... They may have decided you've breathed enough carbon. It's time to put you in the ground, and they're not letting you go to the hospital. I, I, I wish I was making this up. Th these are extinction rebellion is what they're calling it. Hayden shut down every single road going into Westminster. Now, there's a major hospital, isn't there, on Westminster Bridge? Are you worried about how it could impact patients or families trying to visit you know, their loved ones? Well, I think it's about this understanding of the wider perspective. Um, we have people on the bridges who can have conversations with people who are trying to get there, and there's potential of, you know, if people really, really need to get there, about letting them through, possibly, in that conversation. 
Uh, if they really, really need to get through, we'll have a conversation about letting them get through. Wow. By the way, uh, looks like that uh, Brexit, uh, the Brexit deal is off. This is happening actually right now. Uh, moments ago, Angela Merkel, the German chancellor, has apparently uh, blocked the Brexit plan. The reason being is because they are insisting that Northern Ireland stay in the EU. Um, have, how do I want to put this? We're seeing this here, and we're seeing this in Britain. We're seeing this even with the NBA reaction to China, among other things, uh, with the global warming crowd and the like. There is an elitist opinion out there that seems destined to save the people from themselves. A, a group of arrogant, entitled, irreligious elite who have decided they know better than you and me. The British people voted to leave the EU, and these elite have decided they'd actually be worse off leaving, so who cares what they want? We see this in this country with guns. Who cares about you hicks and rubes wanting your guns? We need to make it more difficult for you to own them because bad people might own them as well. Somehow you're going to surrender your guns and the bad people, I guess, what? Are they going to surrender their guns too? No. We're seeing this over and over. When we come back, we got to get into Georgia law and Georgia rules and the DOT rearranging traffic projects for rural Georgia. Just a quick time out to thank one of my favorite sponsors. And this week's sponsor, it's Quip. They make my electric toothbrush. I kid you not, I have used this toothbrush for several years now. I actually bought it. Um, it's, you know, a lot of times a sponsor to these podcasts, they send you their product and you get to use it. Quip, I'm an actual customer, have been a customer well before they sponsored the podcast. I love it because I've tried the really expensive, you know, you can get a $99 or more expensive um, fancy electric battery power toothbrush and they're terribly made uh, and they're not any better than the Quip. The Quip is only 25 bucks and it cleans your teeth. Not only that, it pulses every 30 seconds so you know when to change the position in your mouth. You get a new brush head every three months so you know, and the brush heads are reasonably priced. It is a wonderful, wonderful invention, and they deliver the toothbrush head every three months on a schedule, so you keep your teeth clean. You keep your toothbrush looking new. It's great. It's only $25. You'll get your first brush head refill pack for free by going to getquip.com slash Erickson. It's a very simple way to support the show and a very simple way to get a great, great, great toothbrush. Listen, you don't need all sorts of connected apps and, and Wi-Fi-enabled toothbrushes. You just need a good battery-powered, great toothbrush, and that's what you get with Quip. Go to getquip.com slash Erickson. You'll get your first refill for free. Go right now, getquip.com slash Erickson. Get the word get G E T Q U I P dot com slash Erickson. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. If you would like to be a part of the program, 87797 Eric. That's 877-973-7425. Uh, this hour it was brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. First Liberty GA.com is their website. First Liberty Building and Loan, if you got a smaller, medium-sized business, if you are involved in getting that business access to capital. You don't want to deal with the bank oftentimes because banks can be nightmares to deal with. Go to First Liberty Building and Loan. They're a building and loan. They are a small business. Well, <laughs> they're a small business that helps other small businesses become big businesses. Put it that way. The Frost family, highly connected in, in politics in Georgia, good Christian family, and also great, great financiers for small and medium-sized businesses. They want to help you grow. 
So go to FirstLibertyGA.com. That's their website, FirstLibertyGA.com. Tell them that I sent you and let them help you grow. Now, I uh, I, I want to speak very briefly about an issue involving David Ralston. And believe it or not, I want to defend David Ralston, Speaker of the House in Georgia. David Ross, they had a big fundraiser for the GOP last night, over $300,000 raised, 330000 something like that, uh, is the precise figure for the uh, amount of money raised. And I, multiple people, multiple people last night texted me to say that David Ralston got up and walked out, that as David Schaefer was introducing Brian Kemp, David Schaefer, uh, as David Schaefer was introducing Brian Kemp, David Ralston got up and walked out. And uh, there were people in the room who took that as a slight against Brian Kemp. I would like to defend the Speaker of the House, and rare is it that I do this. I, and I mean no disrespect to the governor of the state of Georgia, um, but if you are the Speaker of the House of Representatives, your job is to show up, see, and be seen, and you don't want to hang out for the speeches. Now, I, I asked, and the people who texted me, they all took it as, a, as an insult against the governor. I, I got to tell you, if I were the Speaker of the House, I would walk out too and not mean any disrespect. And, and maybe there are people who did take it as disrespect to the governor. Um, but I, I, I don't believe in trying to find scandal where there probably is no scandal. The reality is that the Speaker of the House has been to a million rubber chicken dinners and has listened to a million speeches. And there's no reason for him to stay and listen to the speeches. He's not speaking. He was there as a show of support, a, a show of party unity, and he left. I have no problem with that at all. None. Um, I I think that there's no reason to bash the speaker for getting up and leaving. There were 550 people present. The governor, the lieutenant governor, no, the lieutenant governor wasn't there. Uh, the, the speaker of the house, the attorney general, a bunch of others. Uh, they raised $360,000. They still need money. This is something that people haven't paid attention to. The GOP in Georgia under David Schaefer is doing better on the fundraising front, but it still needs a lot of money. Um, past GOP chairs mismanaged the office. There was a discrimination lawsuit filed that had to be settled. Uh, the, the accusations were horrific, uh, and people in the know said that they were legit. Uh, that had to be settled. That left the coffers dry. And the GOP has institutionally, historically in Georgia, given the dynamics when the Democrats were in charge of the state, the GOP was kind of left in the wilderness and each candidate fundraised for himself. And that mentality has been pervasive in the GOP in Georgia for a number of years. And they have not really dedicated themselves to building up the coffers of the state Republican Party. Uh, when you look at some other parties in some other states, uh, in Louisiana or in Texas or even in Mississippi, in the South, you have Republican Party coffers that are plush, filled. Uh, the, the Florida GOP, great example. Got a lot of money in the Florida GOP. The Georgia GOP has individual candidates who have a lot of money, but the party itself does not. Um, if for lawsuits and, and mismanagement and uh, institutional corruption, for lack of a better phrase, uh, that David Schaefer has done a very good job cleaning up. Uh, in the past, if you got elected Georgia GOP chair, you could be sure that your favorite consultants were going to get lots of contracts and lots of money from the Georgia GOP, sometimes spending too much money. 
uh, those days are gone. David Schaefer cleaning up that. I, you know, I, I told people all along, the reason I supported David Schaefer as chair of the Georgia Republican Party is because David Schaefer was born for this job. He lost the lieutenant governor's race to Jeff Duncan. Um, he was David Schaefer was born to be the chairman of the GOP in Georgia. He had been the executive director. He knows how to run the organization. He knows grassroots. He knows on the ground fundraising. He knows boots on the ground operations. Now, all stuff that we could have been uh, benefited by in 2018 that we did not have, in large part not because of the the immediate previous chair who was essentially in a holding pattern trying to find someone who wanted to do the job, uh, but because the Prior chairs, prior to him, uh, what was it? Now, now I forget his name. Nice guy, um, John, not McLaughlin. Um, anyway, um, prior chairs had spent way too much money, and they were there to prop up governors. Sonny Purdue put in his chair. Uh, Nathan Deal put in his chair. They were all designed to prop up uh, the governors, not necessarily the state parties. We finally have a chair who is there to prop up the whole party of the whole state. And that's a good thing. And I don't fault David Schaefer for or David Ralston rather for sitting there last night and deciding uh, it was time to go home. He's old. He was late. He's heard these speeches before. There's no reason to stay. Now, that is way more than you wanted to know, but you need to know one more thing. The Georgia GOP is changing delegate rules to help the president. Uh, I, I don't necessarily think this is probably this is as problematic as some people think. Um, the typically you can have runoff, you can have primaries and in states and some states have gotten rid of the primary for president on the Republican side. The reason they have done so is because they don't want the president challenged. You got Mark Sanford out there. You've got John Kasich hinting that he's going to be out there. You've got Bill Weld out there. Um, oh, who's that idiot? Um, oh, who's the idiot that's running the 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 mini Trump who now hates Trump? Uh, Joe Walsh. Joe, thank you. Yes, Joe Walsh. Joe Walsh is is running. Thank you. Um, and. Georgia GOP is not afraid of having a primary for Donald Trump, but they are changing it to winner take all. Uh, in the past, uh, they would divide up the delegates of the candidates and whoever got the most delegate or whoever got the most votes in Georgia would win the most delegates. But the delegates were proportionally assigned based on congressional districts and statewide. And whoever got the most would get the statewide, uh, but then the congressional districts would be divided up among the candidates based on who got what. Um, Marco Rubio got delegates in Georgia in 2016 because while Donald Trump won the state, Marco Rubio won the metro Atlanta area. Any county connected to Fulton County and Fulton County, Marco Rubio won. That, by the way, has always been one of the big red flags that Donald Trump was more vulnerable in Georgia than people realize. And in the run-up 2018, I got blasted by a lot of people for pointing this out. But even Republicans in Georgia in the metro core and the suburban core didn't like Donald Trump then. They all went for Marco Rubio. So Rubio got delegates in 2016 in Georgia, and under the new rules change, it's winner take all, and Rubio would have gotten no delegates. So Mark Sanford and um, Bill Weld and Joe Walsh and maybe John Kasich, if he runs, can all come to Georgia. They can run a campaign against Donald Trump. They will be on the ballot against Donald Trump, but whoever comes in first gets all the delegates. And I assure you, Donald Trump is going to come in first. That reminds me, by the way, Mark Sanford is out. Uh, you know, uh, Joe Walsh and Bill Weld and others are taking a very— 
uh, strident tone that they will absolutely under no circumstance do anything to ever help or support Donald Trump and will actively oppose him if they're not the Republican nominee. Uh, Mark Sanford taking the different approach here. Are you curious to know what's up with Joe Biden and his son Hunter and Ukraine or China? Of course. I mean, you know. What's going on there is is the the proverbial swamp. I mean, it's 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 all that irks most normal people about what they don't like about Washington D.C. The fact that you know somebody's son, daughter, relative, friend ends up with a plum assignment or a, a plum paying position just because of where dad happens to be is everything that's wrong with Washington D.C. Now, all these other candidates running against Trump say, no, no, this is just a distraction. Keep it on Trump. Keep it on Trump. Here comes Mark Sanford, who says, no, wait, this, this actually is a relevant issue. And now he's come out and said he'll vote for Donald Trump if he's the Republican nominee, that he's a Republican. He, he's not going to vote for one of those people. You know, I, I do have to say, just as an aside, and, and I realize I, I really do want to focus on Georgia right now. But all these people screaming at me for supporting Donald Trump, I can't believe you would support this guy in 2020. I, I can't believe you would support someone who's willing to kill a child as it's passing through the birth canal on, on his way into life. I, I can't believe you would support someone who would do that. So back at you on that. In any event, um, so Sanford has not made a determined effort to try to get on a ballot here in Georgia. Neither have the others. I don't think they're going to have the money to do it. In fact, I know the guy who was hired to be Joe Walsh's campaign manager, and Joe Walsh stopped returning his phone calls. Very interesting. Now, okay, uh, we need to move into the Democrats here in Georgia. Here's something to make you smile. Uh, Democrats nationally are starting to worry about the caliber of candidates running in Georgia. And privately, behind the scenes, according to multiple sources... In the Politico, the New York Times, and elsewhere, they're, they're all starting to express grievance that Chuck Schumer is doing a terrible job of picking the candidates. That Schumer is picking candidates that Schumer likes and not picking candidates that will be liked in the states wherein they must win. And Georgia is one of those states that privately Democrats are upset about the caliber of candidates running against David Perdue and the people who are stepping forward on the Johnny Isaacson front. Now, that is still a long way off. We do not have a candidate there yet. We don't know who the Democrats are going to pick, largely because we don't know who the governor is going to pick. Now, if I had my choice, I, I, I'm biased now. A friend of mine has decided to throw his hat in the ring. Uh, Jason Anavarate, I have mentioned him uh, before he is on the Paulding County School Board. Uh, I Listen, I, I make no secret of the fact I think that Republicans in Georgia have an opportunity to make real inroads with the Hispanic community. He was the chair of the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce in Georgia. Uh, super conservative, uh, super good guy. Uh, would compliment uh, David Perdue on the campaign trail on, on a host of issues and would expand the base. Uh, the first uh, senator of Puerto Rican descent, coming out of Georgia, I think would have an impact on Hispanic voters. And by the way, those Hispanic voters tend to, polling suggests, want a wall on the border and want tougher immigration laws. And I realize that blows the mind of the media, but when you poll Hispanic voters nationwide, and in particular poll Hispanic voters in Georgia, turns out they're more with the president than against the president on immigration. And I think black voters are locked in when it comes to the Democratic Party. Black voters in Georgia and nationwide are going to vote Democrat for a lot of historic reasons. Whether you like them or not, they got a lot of historic reasons to want to vote Democrat. Hispanic voters are still really up for grabs. They really, really genuinely are up for grabs. 
And I think you got a real opportunity in Georgia to build a Hispanic coalition that keeps the Democrats out of power. Now, I realize for every one Hispanic voter in Georgia, you got 10 black Democrats. But the Hispanic numbers in Georgia are growing. And so right now it's a 10 to 1 ratio, black to Hispanic. But in five years, it's going to be 7 to 1. The number of Hispanics will be growing. And so the, if you get them locked in for the GOP now, it continues over time to offset the number of black Democrats who will not vote Republican. In fact, if you look at Tim Scott in South Carolina and in other places around the country, what you find is that black voters will vote for a black Republican, but that's it. What you find with Hispanic voters is they're willing to vote for white Republicans, not just Hispanic Republicans, and welcome them into the Republican coalition in Georgia and elsewhere. They're already part of the Republican coalition. The non-Cuban Hispanics in Florida are already part of their coalition there. Expand your base in Georgia. Expand the base to offset the growth of the Democratic gains uh, nationwide with black voters. Do it in Georgia. That's why I'm partial to someone like Jason. Now, I hear that Jan Jones is making the rounds. Jan Jones is the Speaker Pro Tem in the House of Representatives. Jan Jones making the rounds in Washington, meeting with Senator Purdue's people, I've been told, uh, making her case to the governor, that she should be it. It's very interesting that the Speaker Pro Tem, the number two ranking member of the State House, wants out of the State House. It would certainly clear a path for someone like Barry Fleming from over in Augusta to become Speaker Pro Tem. He's currently the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. And he's not going to challenge David Ralston for power as long as Jan Jones is there. But as multiple members of the state house make it clear, he's never going to challenge David Ralston for power. And Ralston's now signaling he's going to run again. The problem with Jan Jones, though, and I like Jan Jones, but, you know, I, I had multiple people come to me and tell me that Jan Jones really wanted me to not talk about her on the radio. Not because she didn't like me or anything. Uh, Jan Jones just doesn't want the speaker's anger. And Jan Jones was put in a box by the speaker, put in the penalty box by the speaker because I happened to mention her a couple of times on radio or so I've been told by people who were relaying the message, making it clear it was coming from her and that it undermined her ability to get things done in the House of Representatives. Now, I, I'm sorry. The way I view this is that you're the speaker pro tem. Uh, people are looking to you to challenge the speaker when the speaker's gotten out of line in a scandal and you're more upset about some guy on the radio mentioning you because the speaker might be mad at you as opposed to doing the right thing and standing up to the speaker. That's not exactly leadership. And I, I do think that that is going to be something that has to come come up and come out. Is she going to be strong on the campaign trail? If she can't stand up to David Ralston, how can she stand up to an aggressive Democrat against her? It's, it's I think, a relevant concern. This is continuing to play out. The governor has not yet closed the list of nominations. The nominations are still coming in. He couldn't make a pick at any moment. My sense, however, is that they're going to leave the door open a little longer. And in so doing, for the Senate seat to replace Isaacson, they're going to close it without really telling people. And then they're not going to announce who it is. They're going to send out a lot of leaks. So the Democrats go off in multiple directions, spending money on resources to do oppo research, which we know they're going to do, but just trying to muddy the water as to who it's going to be. And they're going to wait until Isaacson is good and ready to actually step aside close to the end of the year before they actually make the replacement announcement for the Senate. It is 26 after the hour. A little jealous of those of you getting rain throughout Georgia. The, if you're south of I-20, 
rain's just not happening. Big case at the Georgia Supreme Court yesterday. Uh, guns at the Georgia Botanical Gardens. Uh, they're signaling. Uh, so this case was unanimously uh, decided upon, but they're signaling there may be problems with the Georgia law. If you will recall, uh, the Georgia legislature amended a law on public properties that allows people to carry guns into public places. It wasn't a constitutional amendment. It was just a law. And it allows you to carry guns into most public places. Well, the Atlanta Botanical Gardens rent land uh, from the city of Atlanta, which is a subsidiary of Georgia, in the Piedmont Park, which is government-owned. And so according to the law, you should be able to carry a gun there because it's public property. But uh, the Botanical Gardens in Atlanta, which, by the way, if you've never been to the Atlanta Botanical Gardens, wonderful, wonderful place. Uh, we take the kids there a lot. Beautiful views of the city. Uh, just It's a neat place. Uh, but anyway, uh, the Botanical Gardens argues that they're a private entity that leases. And because they're a private entity that leases, they cannot uh, be denied the, the prohibition on carrying guns. You're not allowed to carry guns. The case comes from a guy who went into the botanical gardens uh, openly carrying a firearm, and he was escorted out of the premises, and he said he was on public land. Well, yeah, but uh, it's more complicated than that. The law says that you can carry into a public uh, you can carry on public land, but the botanical gardens argue that they privately lease from public land and operate as a private entity. Well, what was bizarre to me, I, as a former lawyer, the judge never even bothered to look at the lease. Uh, the lease, uh, leases in Georgia can be one or two things. You either have um, the right to uh, operate on public land or you have an estate, an estate interest on public land. If you have just a right to operate on public land, you are still considered under the public law and therefore you must allow carry. But if you have an estate on the land, if you are given an estate, it's a technical term, you are essentially given an ownership interest on this public land for a certain period of time, then you can prohibit. And the judge in the case never bothered to even look at the lease, just said, hey, uh, you're a private entity renting, therefore you can do this. So unanimously, the Supreme Court sent it back and said, you got to look at this. But one member of the Supreme Court, Nils Peterson, uh, suggested there could be a problem here because the Georgia Constitution has a contract right, and no law in the state can interfere with the private contracts of entities or the contracts between parties. And if an entity like the Botanical Gardens had entered into a contract on the contemplation that it would be able to regulate its own land, and now the law has changed so that it cannot regulate its land, then that undermines the contract right under the Constitution, and this law may be unconstitutional. So the legislature may have to deal with the gun issue again. It is Eric Erickson here, The Eric Erickson Show, the phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Our uh, listener Jason from Calhoun emailed and said, I botched my explanation of the botanical gardens, please do better. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Let, let, let me, let me break this down for you again. If I'm allowed to, um, 
The botanical gardens argue in court that they lease from public from the public. There is a law that says you are al- you are allowed to ca- openly carry your gun in open places, public places in Georgia. The botanical gardens argued in court that though their land is publicly owned, they lease it and operate it as a private entity. Therefore, they are allowed to ban you from carrying a gun at the botanical gardens. They were sued by Georgia Carey. Georgia Carey argues that uh, the law requires that public land allow you to carry. They lease from public land. Therefore, they are public land. Therefore, you can carry there. And again, the Botanical Gardens say, well, yeah, it's public land, but we lease it and operate it as a private entity. Well, the the trial court judge, and I don't understand why, uh, the trial court judge never even bothered to look at the actual lease between the Botanical Gardens and Atlanta. And the trial court determined that it is a lease. They operate as a private entity. Therefore, they are allowed to ban you from carrying guns. It made its way to the Georgia Court of Appeals. The Georgia Court of Appeals agreed. It has made it to the Georgia Supreme Court on the issue of land law. Uh, You know, most cases in Georgia go to the Court of Appeals, not to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court in Georgia uh, has a narrow defined set of cases wherein it looks. One of those is land law. And the Georgia Supreme Court ruled you got to look at the lease. If the botanical gardens have been given an estate interest in the land, an estate interest meaning they they have an interest as if it is their estate, then they can ban people from carrying guns. If it is just a run-of-the-mill use lease, they are not under the Georgia law allowed to uh, ban the carrying of guns. Now, there was a concurring opinion in the case from Niels Peterson, who is one of the Supreme Court appointees, Nathan Deal putting there, I believe, and he argued that the Georgia Constitution has an absolute prohibition on the Georgia legislature undermining contracts. It is a, a contract law in Georgia. That's why some states, for example, are getting rid of covenants not to compete where you decide not to work somewhere anymore. And that company says, well, you can't go work anywhere in, in 50 miles of this area for two years at a similar business. That's a covenant not to compete. Most states are striking those down as, as being anti-competitive. In Georgia, you have a contract right and the state cannot uh, abrogate the terms of contracts through a state law. So what... Nels Peterson on the Supreme Court is saying is that, listen, a bunch of entities have leases on public land and they operate as private entities and they have always operated as private entities. And because they've always operated as private entities, they've always been able to ban guns. This new state law says uh, you can't ban gun carry open carry on public land. If this new law conflicts with their operation as a private entity, then the new law is unconstitutional because they have a contract right. And we can't, under the Constitution, abrogate their contract right. And so it's going to be very interesting as as people start going back and looking, does the Botanical Gardens have a lease or does it have an estate interest in the land? If it has a lease, the new law suggests they now have to allow open carry, And there are some on the Supreme Court hinting that would then force us to get rid of the new law. Now, my wonder here 
is is this a way by a couple of members of the Supreme Court to signal to Georgia Kerry that maybe you shouldn't be picking this fight or else we're going to get you to try to get them to back down? I, I don't know. I'm speculating. Look at what's happening in New York. Uh, the Supreme Court is scheduling arguments in a case in New York. Uh, over New York, and gun control advocates are scared of the Supreme Court taking this case. See, in the last couple of years after Antonin Scalia died, the Supreme Court didn't take any gun cases, and they didn't take any gun cases because no one knew which way Anthony Kennedy would go, and so the conservatives didn't want to seed ground on guns, and the liberals didn't want to seed ground on guns, uh, dependent on Anthony Kennedy. Well, now that they've got a nine-member Supreme Court again, They've decided to um, take gun cases. And this case in New York is very interesting. In New York, New York prohibited where you could carry a gun. You had to you had to carry your gun only from your home to a, a licensed uh, firing range. That was it. If you stopped for gas on the way to the gun range, you could have your gun taken away from you and you go to jail and people sued and said, this is a burdensome to the right to keep and bear arms. Well, gun control advocates were scared to death that this would uh, go to the Supreme court. And so gun control advocates actually forced New York to enact a more expansive gun law. That if you had the right to carry your gun, you could carry it anywhere except public places and certain other places. Essentially, trying to make the case go away, render the case moot, saying, hey, we've changed the law. This no longer needs to go to the Supreme Court. And it was the gun control advocates that wanted the more expansive gun law. And the whole reason they wanted the more expansive gun law was so the Supreme Court wouldn't take the case and expand it even further as a constitutional right. Well, the Supreme Court didn't take the bait. The Supreme Court said, y'all come on and argue the case anyway. And gun control advocates are beside themselves that the Supreme Court would do this. So we'll see how that case shapes up. Interesting gun cases out there, uh, particularly this one uh, in Georgia. We've also got the case before the Supreme Court being argued today uh, for transgender rights. I believe this one, well, there's one that originates in Georgia, a Jonesboro or Clayton County somebody, uh, somebody was fired for being gay. I believe this is a Georgia case going to the Supreme Court arguing that um, under the um, federal anti-discrimination laws, uh, homosexuality should be included. The problem here is this. Uh, this is a, a legislative case. And the premise is a legislative, uh, legislatively enacted law. A Civil Rights Act, where you cannot be discriminated based on uh, your race, uh, your religion, or your uh, sex. And what this police officer is trying to argue from Georgia, going up to the Supreme Court, is that sexual orientation should be included. Well, the problem is that Congress wrote that law. And so now this guy is going to the Supreme Court saying that the Supreme Court should expand the law that the Supreme Court did not write. This should be a no-brainer case. I mean, it really should, just objectively so. This should be a case where you look at the case and you say, wait a second, Congress wrote this law. Congress is going to have to fix the law. We're not allowed to write the law. We're a court. But of course, progressives on the court say, hey, we can do whatever we want to do. We can change laws as our, our job is to change the law if the law doesn't work. 
And so I suspect that's what they're going to try to do, at least the, the progressives on the court. It'll be very interesting to see how they argue that that they have an explicit right under the Constitution to alter a law passed by Congress. We will see. Now, in other Georgia news, vaping. We need to talk about vaping. There's actually a New York Times story today. It's a national story. It's not about Georgia per se. Uh, but Jewel is being sued by school districts. The lawsuits accuse Jewel of endangering students and forcing educators to divert time and money to fight an epidemic of nicotine addiction among teenagers. The school systems in the lawsuit are in St. Charles, Missouri, Alathi, Kansas, and Long Island, New York. They were believed to be the first in the United States to sue Jewel, which dominates the e-cigarette market, with devices that look like thumb drives and have become wildly popular with American teenagers. The districts say Juul explicitly marketed its products to youth, leaving schools to shoulder the costs of stopping students from vaping, disciplining them when they break school rules, and providing support services when they become addicted. I'm sorry, where are the parents? Where where are the parents? Well, uh, this this is outrageous to me that school districts would waste district dollars suing Jewel. Now, I, I think vaping makes you look like a butt monkey. Uh, you're blowing steam out of your mouth. You look like an idiot. Uh, no one should vape. Uh, the, vaping is a ridiculous act. No one should vape. You, you look absolutely like a butt monkey. Um, there is this thing called a cigarette where you at least look somewhat sophisticated or better yet get a cigar. Cigars are non-habit forming anyway. But it's ridiculous that a school district is going to sue Jewel because kids are vaping. You know what? If the kids are vaping, bring in the parents. Oh, wait. The parents aren't doing anything to the kids. So we're going to have the nanny state be mom and dad to the kid. And instead of punishing the kid, they're going to go after the, the vaping manufacturer. Well, in Georgia... Here in our state, our state legislature, when it convenes in January, is going to have to consider legislation on vaping. Two Republican members of our state legislature have decided they want the state to crack down on vaping in the state of Georgia. I got to tell y'all, again, I think vaping is dumb. I think FDA, the FDA needs to come out with a warning label on vape products and says, warning, using this product as intended makes you look like an idiotic butt monkey. I mean, really, have you seen the people sucking on USB drives, walking down the street or in their car, blowing out massive clouds of steam? They look ridiculous. They really do. And e even people who vape are willing, in most cases, to concede the fact that they look ridiculous. And frankly, the smoke from a cigarette smells better than the cotton blueberry cotton candy flavored garbage that you're blowing out in your steam cloud. But, 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 there's always a but. Not just a butt monkey, but a but. I know lots of people who turn to vaping to get them off cigarettes. Yes, there's nicotine. Yes, nicotine is addictive. But they're not going to get lung cancer. And they're not doing it as much. And they're better able to wean themselves off of it than the tobacco they were smoking. They turn to vaping 
to get the nicotine fix without the harmful effects of burning tobacco going into your lungs in the form of smoke. The steam uh, doesn't go, oh, but we've lost six people nationwide. In a, in a nation of 350 million people, six people have died from vaping. Therefore, vaping is bad. Therefore, we must stop the vaping and put the kids back on cigarettes. I mean, that essentially is the logic. Nobody's out there arguing we need to ban cigarettes. They just want to ban vaping. They want to ban vaping, and so the cool kids will go back to the cigarettes. I mean, this is the thing here. Let, let me again read you uh, this from the New York Times. With school districts across the United States scrambling to reverse the rise of vaping among teenagers, three of them on Monday filed suit against Juul, the e-cigarette manufacturer. They accuse it of endangering students and forcing educators to divert time and money to fight an epidemic of nicotine addiction. The school systems in St. Charles, Missouri, Alathi, Kansas, and Long Island, New York were believed to be the first in the U.S. to sue Juul, which dominates the e-cigarette market. The districts say Juul explicitly marketed its products to youth, leaving schools to shoulder the cost of stopping students from vaping, disciplining them when they break school rules, and providing support services when they become addicted. As smart as our students are, they don't understand the long-term ramifications of vaping and the amount of addictive chemicals they are dealing with, says John Allison, superintendent of Lothi Public Schools, which serves 30,000 students in a suburb of Kansas City. Where are the parents? I mean, this seems like it should be an issue for the parents if the kids are vaping. Where are the kids getting the money? But here's the other thing. They said the same thing about cigarettes. Nobody's banning cigarettes. The kids who are vaping, they'll go get the cigarettes. Oh, but cigarettes are more expensive, Mr. Erickson. Yeah, okay, cigarettes are more expensive. They'll go get a job. Hey, at least they'll be productive members of the workforce getting lung cancer. There are so many people out there who have weaned themselves off cigarettes by going to vape products. And I think they're all ridiculous. Personally, I would rather you smoke a cigarette. You're putting more tax money into the public system, and they don't stink as bad or look as stupid. Yeah, I actually think cigarette smoke is more pleasant than the blueberry cotton candy flavored pineapple watermelon steam cloud that you're exhaling on the interstate. But is it not your choice? And now we've got Republicans in the legislature in Georgia thinking this is something that we have to deal with here. Y'all, this is a moral panic. It really is a moral panic. You got a bunch of uppity white people all upset that the kids are vaping these days. That's the way moral panics always start. A bunch of uppity white people upset that the kids are doing something that they shouldn't be doing. How dare they do something like that? And you know what? Where are the parents? The parents are letting these kids vape. Do the parents not know? The school district knows and the parents don't know? Are you allowed to send a note home and tell the parents, hey, your kid's looking like a butt monkey at school by blowing steam out his mouth all day that stinks? Nope, they're not actually doing it. Nope, nope, can't do that. Nope, not doing that. Where are the parents? Why don't you get the parents involved? Instead of wasting taxpayer resources suing the e-cigarette manufacturer, why don't you talk to the parents? Because I bet they're smoking too. In many cases, that's where the kids get it from, the parents. Maybe not, but in some cases, yes. So they don't want to involve the parents because they don't want to indict the parents on the parents' behavior. 
So they're just going to use their school taxpayer resources to file a lawsuit against an e-cigarette manufacturer claiming, oh, they're targeting the children, the children, oh, the children, we got to save the children, oh, oh, Lordy, help the children, the children are turning into e-cigarettes and they're looking like butt monkeys, oh, no, come on, people, listen, uh, th- this is this is a, a silly, silly thing. Uh, and it is a moral panic by a bunch of uppity white people who are horrified by this. If you don't like vaping, you know what? Uh, tell the kids not to vape. Uh, you know what? They're breaking other rules in schools. I bet they're talking in the hallways when they're not supposed to. I bet they're talking in class. I bet the boys are looking at adult material on the cell phones they're not supposed to have. Let's sue Apple and the iPhone and make some money from them. Nope. Just going after the e-cigarettes. It's a moral panic. That's all it is. Yeah, here we go from the AJC. I found the story. This is the case of Gerald Bost- Bostock. Um, in Do- he's a Doraville man. Now, he claims he was fired from his job as a Clayton County child welfare officer because he's gay. He says the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which bars employment discrimination due to race, color, religion, sex, and national origin, covers sexual orientation as well. An Atlanta federal appeals court ruled against him, and he's asking, uh, and Clayton County's asking the high court to uphold the decision. Uh, the question is whether the meaning of the word sex, as used by Congress 55 years ago, has evolved to cover LGBT rights. Something both sides agree wasn't at issue at the time, given that Georgia and many other states have criminal had criminalized same-sex relations. So essentially. This is what's at stake here. The law covered race, color, religion, sex, and national origin. Sex has always been understood in the context of this law to mean uh, male or female. And now it is, this guy is asking the Supreme Court to not just be male or female, but also who you're actually having sexual relations with, which is on its face absurd now they're 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 twisting it somewhat because that's what they mean. But here they're they're actually saying um, his lawyers argued that workplace discrimination based on a man's sexual orientation occurs when an employer insists on traditional sex roles and behavioral stereotypes. It's a disparate treatment of an employee that would not occur but for his sex. You would think that they're pushing it, except you know that the progressives on the Supreme Court are going to find a way. Bostock's case is being uh, coupled with that of Donald Zarda, a former skydiving instructor, and Amy Stevens, a guy who thinks he's a she now, who says he, but now a she, was fired from a Michigan funeral home after he told his bosses he was transitioning from male to female. The Trump administration is arguing that Congress and businesses, not the courts, are best suited to decide employment discrimination. Uh, Rick Allen, Jody Heiss, and Doug Collins are also siding with the businesses against the men who are being fired. Um, I, and, you know, here's the thing. Um, the transgender person is probably going to undermine their case. The reason is because... The, the gay men are arguing they were born that way. And 
inherently in transgenderism, you're not born that way. You decide. That's one of the weird things about um, a, a progressive secular movement that is so premised in science these days, uh, where you are to believe that one is born gay or straight, but you get to decide whether you're male or female. There, there's no science to support this. In fact, you had a massive study. The New York Times actually wrote this this and bent over backwards to suggest that, yeah, maybe, possibly, maybe there is genetic evidence to show that uh, people's sexual orientation is something they're born with, but actually, uh, overwhelmingly, it's it's outside factors. And they, they downplayed that when you read the study. And again, massive, credible scientific study shows environmental factors are more at play here. Uh, notice it didn't get a lot of media attention because of that uh, indoctrination from the left. We'll see how this goes. When we come back, it's time to get into impeachment of the president and what it all means today. Just a quick time out to thank one of my favorite sponsors. And this week's sponsor, it's Quip. They make my electric toothbrush. I kid you not, I have used this toothbrush for several years now. I actually bought it. Um, it's, you know, a lot of times a sponsor to these podcasts, they send you their product and you get to use it. Quip, I'm an actual customer, have been a customer well before they sponsored the podcast. I love it because I've tried the really expensive, you know, you can get a $99 or more expensive um, fancy electric battery power toothbrush and they're terribly made uh, and they're not any better than the Quip. The Quip is only 25 bucks. And it cleans your teeth. Not only that, it pulses every 30 seconds. So you know when to change the position in your mouth. You get a new brush head every three months. So, you know, and the brush heads are reasonably priced. It is a wonderful, wonderful invention. And they deliver the toothbrush head every three months on a schedule. So you keep your teeth clean. You keep your toothbrush looking new. It's great. It's only $25. You'll get your first brush head refill pack for free by going to getquip.com slash Erickson. It's a very simple way to support the show and a very simple way to get a great, great, great toothbrush. Listen, you don't need all sorts of connected apps and, and Wi-Fi enabled toothbrushes. You just need a good battery powered, great toothbrush. And that's what you get with Quip. Go to getquip.com slash Erickson. You'll get your first refill for free. Go right now, getquip.com slash Erickson. Get the word get G E T Q U I P dot com slash Erickson. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 87797 Eric. That's 877-973-7425. This hour of the show brought to you by First Liberty of Georgia, First Liberty Building and Loan. Go to their website, firstlibertyga.com. If you're a small or medium-sized business, you oversee a small, medium-sized business, you need access to capital, you don't want to use a bank, you can use First Liberty of Georgia. They will help your business grow. Easy to deal with, wonderful people. They don't have a bank bureaucracy. It's just them. I really do like them, and they've been great supporters of this program, and you can support the show by going to them. Go to firstlibertyga.com and tell them I sent you. Uh, kangaroo courts. Kangaroo, do you know where the phrase kangaroo courts come from? Uh, a lot of people suspect that kangaroo court comes from the English penal colonies of an English penal colony of Australia, that somehow it, it got a name there. But actually, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, Kangaroo court is derived from Australians, but uh, it's actually derived from uh, the 1840s. There were a massive number of Australians who came to the United States in the 1840s during the California gold rush. 
And there were a lot of claim jumping. People would discover gold mines and other people would jump in and and claim that it was their gold mine. And a lot of the people happened to be Australians coming from the penal colony. Yeah, the Australian criminals coming into the West Coast of the United States, stealing people's gold claims. And they would decided there were so many of them, they would rapidly uh, have trials to decide the issue. And they called the trials, these rapid trials, kangaroo courts because they were dealing with so many Australians who were stealing who were stealing other people's gold mine claims. Thus comes the kangaroo court phrase. A rapid trial that oftentimes seems like it, it's in the pocket uh, it was essentially a bunch of Americans being bullied out of their their gold by Australians, and we were then throwing the Australians out oftentimes without due process. It, it, it does not come from the show Captain Kangaroo. <laughs> I shouldn't have to tell you that it doesn't come from Captain Kangaroo, except for Matt Getz, who is the Republican congressman down in the Jacksonville area, who, who he's not quite the brilliant mind uh, that some partisans seem to think he is and he apparently thinks the phrase kangaroo court comes from captain kangaroo what we see in this impeachment is a kangaroo court and chairman shift is acting like a malicious captain kangaroo (laughs) malicious captain kangaroo (laughs) malicious captain kangaroo Oh my goodness. Okay. I'm sorry. That cracks me up. That, that genuinely, that is funny right there. Genuinely. That, that is funny. A a malicious captain kangaroo. Well, okay. Let, let's get into, um, the, the impeachment stuff. Shall we? The president makes perhaps the best argument for why he should not be impeached. You can't impeach a president for doing a great job. You can't impeach a president for having the lowest and best unemployment numbers that we've had in 51 years. You can't impeach a president for tax cuts and regulation cuts and creating, and even the ambassador would say, the strongest economy in the world. We have the strongest economy in the world. This is a scam, and the people are wise to it. Yeah, the strongest economy in the world, great economy, can't impeach the president. That That's actually a pretty compelling argument. The other thing that the president has here is... Adam Schiff. Now, I just see a, a poll that just came out where I'm up massively with independent voters. I don't know if it's this or because of the hoax, you know, that's going on with Nancy Pelosi and her her uh, her friend, uh, Adam Schiff. He's another beauty. He got caught lying all over the place. He doesn't know what to do. He's a mess. Right now, he's a mess. And everybody knows it. Just all you have to do is a little good reporting. You'll see he's a total mess because he got caught. Well, and the Republicans are making Adam Schiff out to be the really bad guy and all this, and, and they've got reason to make Adam Schiff the bad guy in this. He, he actually isn't great. You, you know, the irony here is they let Adam Schiff be the head of this thing um, because they thought Jerry Nadler uh, polled badly with the American public, that the American public didn't care for Jerry Nadler. So they handed it out to Adam Schiff, who right out of the gate has the hearing with the director of national intelligence and makes up the transcript, reads a fake transcript of the president's conversation with Ukraine's president, which kind of set the tone for everything thereafter. And now the Democrats are suggesting they're so worried about the whistleblower, so worried about the whistleblower that they may not let the Republicans participate. 
think about that for a minute. Talk about a kangaroo court. They may not let the Republicans participate in interviewing the whistleblower. And now, supposedly, they have the second whistleblower. The president's lawyer is Jay Sekulow, uh, graduate of Mercer University School of Law, the Walter F. George School of Law, Mercer University in Macon, Georgia. Same as me, Jay Sekulow. That Jay Sekulow. Well, I think, look, they're now talking about a second whistleblower. And my statement on that is, so what? We've already released a transcript. So does, does, is it really relevant what some other person who may or may not have heard the conversation thought about it? The transcript has been released. It is out there in the public. So again, you know what? They couldn't get Russia. They couldn't get obstruction. Then it was quid pro quo with Ukraine. Then there was a transcript that showed no quid pro quo. Then it was a cover-up, except there was no cover-up because the transcript was released. Then it was the whistleblower. And what did the whistleblower do? Yeah. And there's also breaking news at this moment. Uh, Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Lindsey Graham says he's going to allow Rudy Giuliani to come before the Senate Judiciary Committee to talk about corruption in Ukraine, which should be very interesting. Um, Given conversations I've had in the last couple of days, though, I wonder if this might be a trap. (laughs) Um, Lindsey Graham is really upset with the uh, situation in Syria with the Kurds. Uh, He is not, 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 not happy, not happy at all. And he's also privately not happy with Rudy Giuliani. And so I wonder if he might want to do this to undermine Rudy Giuliani and the president's trust in Giuliani. I have no, I'm just talking out of turn. I, I don't know. All I know is that Graham is really unhappy with the current situation. He's really unhappy with Rudy Giuliani. Now, here's Kevin McCarthy, the the House Republican leader on this impeachment business and how the Republicans are spinning it. The president's counsel should be able to be in the room, should be able to cross-examine. We should be able to offer some witnesses. Mm -hmm. Today, what's happening, she's taken it out of judiciary. She put it with Adam Schiff, who is a whole series among himself. Adam Schiff is a fact witness because he met with the whistleblower. When the whistleblower went to the IG, correctly, a, yeah, a staff member met with the whistleblower. Yes, but it's part of his staff. We don't know how many times he met. We don't know if he met with Schiff or not. We don't know what they talked about. That is a fact witness. Nowhere in American judiciary does it ever allow a fact witness to be the prosecutor, or the person in charge. Mm-hmm. At these depositions, uh, there were uh, one or two last week. There's going to be one, uh, one or two again this week. I've heard uh, reporting that uh, apparently the Republicans can be in the room, but they can't really ask any questions. They can't. No, but you know who can be in the room? The Democrats control how many Republicans can go in the room, how many staffs. And then what else they control is what America gets to hear about it. If you read the entire transcript of the hearings last week, again, we would end this nightmare one more time. But no, they want to do a selective text, but not let everything else out. This is the problem and why she put it into intel. It goes back to what Schiff has said every time before he has lied. He's the common denominator of all these failures and all these lies. Remember? He lied about knowing more than circumstantial evidence. He lied when he met with Glenn Simpson. His staff went up and met with uh, Cohn how many hours? And now, if you watch the tweets and what he did, he lied to the American public, even on MSNBC, about even meeting well, the Well, there will be a vote. The president is saying he's sending that letter to Nancy Pelosi. Have a vote. I sent a letter last week with 10 mm-hmm. points yep. that it's about fairness. Clinton was treated that way every time we've gone this way. She's denied it. And the reason she's denying it, it'll be an unfair process. It's pure political. Mm-hmm. They have no facts, mm-hmm. and they just want to impeach this president. Congressman. Yeah. Uh, they just want to impeach this president. Uh, very, very telling from Kevin McCarthy. 
they are making this into a partisan case over the Democrats' conduct. And, you know, so let me give you the dynamics here. Just, just let me avoid my personal opinion and give you just the analysis of what's going on here. The Democrats believe that they need a fishing expedition in order to stockpile the witnesses and evidence with which to proceed to impeachment. There is House precedent and House rules that requires a formal vote to begin a formal impeachment proceeding. An impeachment proceeding requires that there be a special committee set up or the Judiciary Committee and that that committee then be charged with developing articles of impeachment. Typically, it's the Judiciary Committee, but they can do a select committee, a special committee set up with members of uh, in the House of Representatives. Once that begins, there has to be due process. Witnesses have to be subpoenaed by the committee. The president's team, led by the Republicans on that committee, would be allowed exculpatory evidence. The exculpatory evidence would be counter would be able to counter the Democrats. The president's team would have the right to confront the president's accuser as they build the articles of impeachment. It could not just be all the whistleblowers coming in and saying what they know, uh, because hearsay would then be limited. They would have to bring in the firsthand witnesses. Now, one of the people supposedly is is a witness blower with firsthand information. We don't know who that person is. We don't know who the first whistleblower is, other than we know he's a Democrat. And the Republicans would be able to challenge all this stuff as they build a record that is then handed over to the Senate. And the Senate would then actually have the trial, and the trial would be based on the record handed over from the House of Representatives. We know this from the precedent set by uh, the Bill Clinton impeachment and by how the Senate handled Andrew Johnson. Remember, uh, Richard Nixon was not actually impeached. But the the committee had been formed, and the articles of impeachment were being developed by Nixon, so we have that pattern as well. The Democrats don't want to do that yet, and the reason they don't want to do that is, again, uh, due process rights and the Republicans being able to challenge the narrative. Democrats really want to shape the narrative themselves without allowing the Republicans input into how the narrative is shaped. And the word narrative, I'm using that important, uh, I'm using that with, with emphasis here, because the narrative is how the story is told. The president has a counter-argument, and the president's counter-argument is that he wanted to root out corruption, and this was all about corruption, and the president takes very seriously corruption, and the president wanted to make sure that there was was no corruption uh, because American money was going to be spent, and we can't have American money being spent uh, in a corrupt area, and corrupt, corrupt, or everything's corrupt. That's probably the best defense the president has on this. Uh, One of the questions, though, that the Democrats will want to answer is, why did the president not begin to care about corruption and particularly the Biden corruption until after Joe Biden became the Democratic nominee? So our question the Republicans are going to have to answer. And as long as the Democrats don't go into an impeachment process, the Republicans can't answer the question because there's no process by which they can answer the question. As long as the Democrats hold this from going into formal impeachment, the Democrats can shape the narrative and prevent the Republicans from offering credible rebuttals. On top of that, the Democrats can continue to drip, 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 drip out the information. And as long as the Democrats can drip, drip, drip out the information, the Republicans are on defense. They have to respond to it. 
Remember, the big difference, uh, again, I, I keep saying this, the difference with Clinton and this is that Clinton had months to prepare because they had the star report. They knew where things were going. Nobody knows. This is all happening in real time organically. We don't know. And the Republicans are staying on defense. The moment it becomes a formal impeachment process, there's due process rights. There's the right to counter the evidence. There's the right to offer uh, exculpatory evidence. And you got to give the Republicans a seat at the table. They play defense for the president, and you have to give them a seat at the table, and you have to show them all the evidence. That is Rule 101, uh, Impeachment Rules 101. Because this is moving into the Senate and is going to be a real trial, you have to lay all your cards on the table and show the Republicans everything. And until you get there, the Democrats don't have to do that. Now, the counter here is what Kevin McCarthy is pointing out, that this looks like a witch hunt. So while the Democrats can do this to try to keep the Republicans on defense, what the Republicans can do and what they're doing right now is to call in the question, why aren't Democrats moving forward? Why aren't Democrats willing to do this? Now, I want to play you this audio. This is Democratic Representative uh, Slotkin from Michigan, I believe, an area that Donald Trump won and uh, went to a town hall and announced her support for impeachment. Myself and six other members of the freshman class in Congress, all former military or former CIA, wrote a joint op-ed and came out in support of an impeachment inquiry. And I wanted you to know from me, I wanted you to know from me, was when you joined the coup against our country. That's right. What's the rush with the impeachment? The impeachment is a serious thing. This would be only the fourth president in the history to be impeached and to turn impeachment on something like this is really stretching. Yeah, she got some applause, but she got some strident boos from the crowd. She is she is Michigan, Michigan's 8th Congressional District. Uh, she was a CIA analyst. She worked in the Department of Defense. She won... Uh, she beat a Republican and um, she, well, it's an R plus four district. It's part of Lansing, Michigan. It's a district where Donald Trump won it. And she's going to have a hard time selling this. So the Democrats have problems and the Republicans know it. The Republicans know if they can drag this out just long enough, they can score points on some of these Democrats who took seats. But ultimately, they're going to have a formal impeachment proceeding. It's just how long do the Democrats string this along? And my suspicion is they string it along until it's very clear from the polling that the Republicans themselves are actually winning the PR battle in the swing districts. Again, though, keep in mind, Republicans in the Senate, they're probably not going to vote to impeach the president unless it looks like the president existing, President Donald Trump, is causing problems for their hold on the Senate. If the Senate Republicans see that, they may flip on the president. But right now, Republicans, as long as the Democrats drag this out without a formal impeachment proceeding, the Democrats, are, or the Republicans rather, are really starting to think they may win the PR battle on this because the Democrats really can't go out there and say they're in a formal impeachment proceeding because it begs the question, why aren't you then allowing the president to confront his accuser? And Americans, even those who don't like the president, understand. Fundamentally, in America, you get the right to confront your accuser. Okay, I'm going to see if I can do this. Uh, where is it? Um, da, 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 da. So every year, for so when I first started 
on my my other radio show in Atlanta in 2011, I had to work on Good Friday. And I, it was literally the first place I ever worked where Good Friday was not a holiday. I, I've always worked for um, privately held businesses that were run by people who were explicitly Christians. And they gave you off Good Friday, which is, I, I think, honestly, the most important, the anniversary of the most important day in human history. Or at least uh, the most important weekend in human history. And, and even secular uh, atheist uh, historians, uh, you ask them to write out the top 10 days in, in human history and... Good Friday typically is the number one pick. And so I decided that year that if they were going to make me work on Good Friday, I was going to do a show on Good Friday, about Good Friday, uh, about why it's important. Um, <clears throat> it wasn't explicitly going to be a gospel presentation, but over time it kind of evolved. And then I do it every year. And uh, they, 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 certain people within the company were horrified that I did it. Uh, that, that this guy is supposed to be doing politi- politics and news, not not Jesus. Tell him to stop talking about religion. Well, turned out the, that when people left for the weekend, came back on Monday, people's voicemail boxes were overflowing with calls from people who loved the fact that I was doing that. Now they make me do a Christmas one on that station as well. And every year I go through and I pick out music to, to do. And I try to find Georgia artists. I play a lot from North Point Ministries uh, and, and other small groups in Georgia. Uh, there are some good churches in Georgia that have fantastic groups, but there is one song I discovered, and I had no idea that he even did any sort of religious music. And it also happens to be one of my favorite songs uh, out there. Uh, I, I fell in love with it from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yes, I am talking about Kanye West, of all things. Kanye West, who did a version of I'll Fly Away. One glad morning When this life is over I'll fly away To a yeah, that's, that's Kanye West. It's on his album, The College Dropout of All Things. Um, and... Now he says he's given up secular music. He's he's going to go into into gospel music. I this is a big PR thing. I I I'm suspicious. My, the bells and whistles are going off, but I do want to discuss Kanye's conversion and what it means, if anything at all, when we come back. It, it, it's very interesting, and and you know I I suspect I, I'll pre-record a special Christmas program for us this year and and delve into this. It's also one reason I've been going to seminary. Well, we'll get into all this when we come back. Adam Tyson is the pastor of Placerita Bible Church in California. Um, It's in Santa Clarita, California. And he showed up at a Kanye West concert and began preaching. Let's see. I'm going to. Yep. Yep. This is this is him getting on stage at the Kanye concert. Good day, Detroit. Only in a town like this can you have a view like that. Isn't that awesome? How's Motown doing today? Yeah, okay, let's see. To get you. And he wants to catch you and handcuff you and take you to jail. Well, I'm here to tell you that while our God is the judge over the universe, He's also a God of mercy, and he's a God of love. 
And he sent his son to die on a cross because he loves you. He loves Detroit. He's raising this city up from the ashes. He wants to be exalted in your heart today. Maybe you're here today. You've thought of God as being more of something like a butler or a genie. You think that God is just at your beckoning command. God, I need a new car. God, I need a new job. God, I need a new house. Well, God could give you all those things, but I'm here to tell you that God doesn't always give you what you want. He gives you what you need. And he goes on to the, from there. He says, and again, this is Adam Tyson, uh, a pastor from California who actually went to Detroit and Kanye West put him on stage. And he says, this is the message that we bring you. God is holy. We're all sinners. Christ came so that you could be born again and have new life only by his blood, only by his sacrifice. And through his resurrection, you can say today, here I am, Lord, send me. That, that, that was his message on stage, a gospel message. Well, it, it turns out that... Um, Kanye West showed up at this guy's church, said he was under the way he says, Kanye West said, I was under the weight of my sin. I was being convicted. I was running from God and I knew I needed to make things right. So I came to Christ. I came out of darkness into light. He, he started attending a Bible, uh, class with this pastor, Adam Tyson. And, and this is kind of the, the media is not giving major attention, but a lot of people, in, in hip-hop and rap are, are paying attention to what Kanye West is doing, and some people are highly skeptical. Now, I got to tell you, I am always very skeptical when high-profile celebrities come out and say that they, they love them some Jesus. And Christians rush out, and we saw this with Justin Bieber, we're seeing this with Kanye West, we're, we've seen this with others in the past, and, and Christians rush out, buy up all their albums, and then it turns out that the, the, the Jesus that they actually embraced was the one they invented in their, in their head or their heart, and it's not the authentic Jesus of Scripture. Um, so I, I, I tread lightly on these things, and I haven't mentioned this. This story has been out now for about a week and a half, and I haven't wanted to mention it, but I've been pinging a friend of mine uh, who is in the know on these sorts of things and is highly connected and, and says he's actually impressed uh, and that he he has some info that leads him to believe this may be authentic. But again, um, even he and I, are we tread very cautiously on this stuff. And, and the reason being is because, and, and you know, it, it, as evidence that this may be authentic is the fact that you're not hearing a lot about it in the media. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the things of the world, Christ says, hate the things of God. If you like the world, then you may not really, or if the world likes you, it's not you liking the world. We all like the world. We all like where we live. We may wish it rained a little more around here or there, but if the world likes you, then you probably aren't right with God. It is a friend of mine in, in seminary once said, when his professor said, if you've never been persecuted, you may not be a Christian. Christianity is a religion of persecution. And famous people who become Christians in encounter that scorn and derision as Kanye West is now doing from certain quarters 
And in so doing, they realize uh, that it's really not for them and they walk away from it. Or they decide that, well, I'm, I'm going to still say I'm a Christian, but I'm going to start peddling a Jesus that I've created. It's not the real thing that somehow they begin to uh, accommodate views that are antithetical to a an inerrant understanding of the Bible. That, uh, for example, I mean, frankly, I mean, let, let's let's not dance around it. Uh, gay rights is one of those things these days. Gay marriage, in particular, and transgenderism. Um, I I fully expect one day they will come for me. I am an evangelical Christian. I am in seminary. Uh, I I preach occasionally on Sundays, I, and I believe in the inerrant, infallible Word of God uh, that is in Scripture. And scripture says to me, I am a sinner, but also says to me that uh, homosexuality is a sinner. And the big difference between me and the world is that I think I'm a sinner and, and they seem to think they're not sinners in, in some ways, that that's not a sin, even though the Bible is very explicit. And there are lots of people out there who try to uh, say, well, you know, this is a historic understanding and the word doesn't mean what you think it means. But then you've got, oh, what's the name of the guy who, who just left the faith? He was a pastor, wrote a book on dating. I can't remember his name now, wrote, wrote a book on courtship. And then walked away from the faith, uh, Josh Harris, and um, said, you know, in my study of scripture, you, you can't reconcile these things. He, he apparently is uh, gay, and uh, he and his wife are getting a divorce, and he's now been in a gay pride march and finally decided he can't reconcile Christianity uh, to his sexual proclivities. And uh, God bless him for being honest. We need more honest people like him saying that you can't reconcile these things. So he walked away from the faith. Well, there are a lot of people who try to reconcile them when they can't be reconciled under Scripture. And it oftentimes is celebrities who make a great showing of coming to faith. Or you get the sad situations like poor old Lauren Daigle. Uh, Lauren Daigle, I have uh, read somewhere today, as a matter of fact, this morning, that her song, yes, uh, here, here it is, uh, You Say, is the longest-running number one Christian song of all time. You, you've heard the song, I'm sure. Um, you say, please don't fire off an ad here, Google, as I'm firing up the song. So, yeah. She's got a gorgeous voice, 28 years old. This is now the, the number one Christian song of all time, you say. Uh, it is everywhere. It's on secular radio stations. She's been transcending into secular radio. And naturally, one of the, the very first things that happened when she got into secular radio is, is a, um, a Rolling Stone magazine or someone asked her, so, so what do you think about homosexuality? Surely you're not like those icky Christians who think it's a sin. And she's like, I don't know. And Christians blew her up for saying she didn't know when she knows. And, and uh, secularists blew her up for not rejecting Christianity. You get into these situations. Uh, and Kanye West is going to find himself there. If his conversion is real, you, if, whether his conversion is real or not, you need to pray for him. What makes me interested in this one is, in addition to his celebrity and his star, the media is not paying attention to this one. And that, in my mind, tends to be a flag on these stories. When the media is no longer paying attention 
to something like this, that to me suggests there is an authenticity to it. And again, this goes back to the things of the world hate the things of God. Um, when you have the media loves to play up celebrity conversions. And it is always the celebrities who claim they're now Christian and then use that conversion against Christianity. The media loves to play up the people like Rob Bell, the, the Christian pastors who um, have fallen away. You know, so I, I was in a in a group. They called themselves the Dead Theologian Society. It was a Bible study where they would only read the works of dead people uh, because they had read Rob Bell at one point uh, before he flipped uh, into being uh, not Christian anymore. And so the mo- motto for the group became, we only read dead dead people so none of them can turn up like Rob Bell. <laughs> and and so the media loves to play these people up. You, you get the Oprah Winfrey contract. You, you get the Oprah Winfrey show. You you get the 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 um the Oprah Winfrey set. You, you see this time and time again. The prominent Christian voices who say they're Christian, but they're of the left socially. They're of the left morally. They're they're of the left scripturally. Uh, they get played up. Look at Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg is Episcopalian, uh, which really suggests to me uh, there, there's a problem. <laughs> I, I'm not a I, the Episcopalian Church long ago left Christianity, and many people within the congregations haven't figured it out yet. I think that Pete Buttigieg has figured it out that they're not really Christian. I mean, Pete Buttigieg only uses faith as a as a bludgeon against actual believers. You got uh, you got Julian Castro, Julian Castro out there as well, doing the same thing on immigration, and the media is playing it up, using his faith, his supposed faith, uh, as a way to beat up actual Christians. Listen to listen to Julian Castro running for Congress, listen or running for president rather. Listen to this. And so I hope that in this country, people who say that they're Jesus loving, God loving that they pay more attention to God-loving, Jesus-loving people on this side of the border with brown skin that are desperate. That are He's in Mexico, I guess I should tell you. Being treated cruelly by this president because he clearly, clearly doesn't care about them. Yeah, so he, he, if, you're a, if you're a Jesus lover, then you better love the people south of the border who want to cross over uh, illegally into this country, and you better let them. Yep, if you're a Christian, you got to support illegal immigration. Using his, and of course, the media is, is is playing this up. Oh, look at him! He's going after the Christians. It's the fact that they're ignoring the Kanye West conversion altogether. He got a little bit of play, but it really played mostly in Christian media. Makes me think there's a there there. In the same way, at the beginning of the show, I talked about the Elizabeth Warren story. Elizabeth Warren has been telling people that she was fired from her job as a speech pathologist in the early 1970s because she had been pregnant. She worked two days a week and the principal asked her not, he, he, he didn't ask her back the next year because she was visibly pregnant. The Washington free beacon went to the school in New Jersey, went to the school system, went into the records and found the record, the minutes of the meeting from the 1970s where the school board extended her contract another year directly refuting her claims And the national media has avoided covering the story because it makes Elizabeth Warren look bad. In the same way, if you will recall, the day Elizabeth Warren came out with her DNA test to show she had uh, Native American blood, 
It's like one one thousand twenty fourth. The media ran this story. It was a celebratory way that it was covered on CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, NBC, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the LA Times. When it first came out, it, it was celebrated. Look at this. She's proven the president a liar yet again. Brave Elizabeth Warren has shown she really is Native American. The president's going to have to pay up now. He's going to have to pay all this money. The president pledged a million dollars if she could if she could do it. And the president came out and said, "Well, I'm not paying anything." She's less less American Indian than I am. And then Cherokee groups came out and condemned the media for praising her and, and saying, we, we don't do a blood test like they did for slavery for who is black and who is white. We, we don't do that. It's more than that. Shame on you for not knowing our culture. And then the story went away. The media could no longer defend Elizabeth Warren. The, the story that Elizabeth Warren, it blew up in her face. Within 72 hours of Elizabeth Warren having done that, the very members of the press who were praising her for being bold enough to do it were condemning her, saying this this is going to scuttle her. Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. But it's interesting how the media covers these stories and doesn't cover these stories. And they're not covering the Kanye West story. Kanye says he he essentially wants to stop making secular music. He wants to focus more on faith. He wants to um, he wants to reach out to a Christian audience. Um, the, Billy, I know it, it, it's Trey Goins Phillip, um, who I, I know, uh, Trey Gep on uh, Twitter, good guy, writing about this at Faithwire. Uh, talking about Adam Tyson showing up at the Kanye West Sunday service. Uh, and he, let, let me read you this quote. Uh, West would say he knew about the things of God. He said he was running from God, Adam Tyson explained. The first time I talked to him, the first Sunday in June, he told me I got radically saved five weeks ago. I said, Kanye, what happened five weeks ago? He said, I was just under the weight of my sin and I was being convicted that I was running from God and I knew I needed to make things right. So I came to Christ. I came out of darkness into light. Tyson leads the church, 400 congregants, and West quietly attended two times in May, slipping in and out without much attention drawn toward, towards him. When he returned a third time in June, he waited in the back for the opportunity to talk. He told uh, Billy Hallowell, a friend of mine, he, uh, he and the rapper had a 15-minute conversation at the end of the service. Uh, then they began meeting together weekly. Their first meeting was an hour. I, I spent about three hours just going through the gospel, making sure he understood clearly about the atonement of Christ, that God is holy, that we're sinners, that Christ came to die in the place of sinners, that by repenting and believing in him, we can have eternal life, the pastor said. And, and Wes was like, hey, man, I told you I've been radically saved. I believe the message. I want to get the message out to the world. And then he started attending a Bible study. And then he started hanging out with the pastor and doing more. You know, listen, if this is authentic, and by the way, just so you know about the pastor, he went to the Master Seminary. The Master Seminary was the Los Angeles Baptist Theological Seminary. The name was changed by John MacArthur. This is the, the seminary that John MacArthur was in charge of uh, for the Baptists. Uh, in 1985, they changed the name to the Master's College. That, that's where the pastor comes from. Uh, a legit uh, Reformed theological campus in California. The pastor, by the way, you should know, is from Georgia. Uh, the pastor is, uh, I'm not sure what part of Georgia he's from, but Adam Tyson is from Georgia. And I'm just, I'm very fascinated by the story because I'm always hesitant 
when major celebrities have a conversion story because oftentimes Christians, they, they love to champion the celebrity at the expense of the guy in their church who walked the aisle on Sunday. Let's, let's not celebrate the sinner who is saved on Sunday unless they're a celebrity, and, and I think that's bad. But also, oftentimes, a lot of these celebrity conversions then, then blow up on Christians' faces and blow up in Christian faces and they do more harm than good. At the same time, I really am struck by how little this has been in the media. And typically, when stories like this are not in the media, they tend to have some legitimacy to them. And there tends to be a there there because the media certainly doesn't want to put Kanye West, who they put in the spotlight for years until he dabbled in Trumpism. They certainly don't want to put him back in the spotlight now that he's gone from Trump to Jesus. That would be really bad in the media. It is 55 after the hour, and I am Eric Erickson. This is the Eric Erickson Show. We, we don't have enough time left to take any of your phone calls. None of you people ever call me anyway. <laughs> uh, not that I'm upset, but, you know, it's, it's just it, it's kind of nice going from a situation where i got to stop every six minutes for traffic to actually being able to stretch my legs and make a point without any sort of interruptions. I'm happy to hear from you, uh, just not today because we only got about two minutes left. Uh, the Joker in CNN. CNN is blowing up the Joker story. Uh, CNN has run two stories now on the Joker, the movie, attacking the movie. One that a a song by some terrible, awful person, I, I don't know, so, some criminal, was in the Joker movie, and that's outrageous. And then there's another story that the Joker is a success uh, because of Trump, uh, that, that, that the Joker reflects Trumpism. Actually, uh, if you see the movie, and by the way, full disclosure, I haven't seen the movie. I don't want to see the movie. Uh, I, I don't want to see the movie because everyone who has gone to see the movie has used a variation of the phrase re- repressively dark, bleak, um, depressing, uh, brutal, vile. I, that's not my sort of, I don't want that in my head. I got enough stuff in my head. I don't want that in my head. Uh, but, but the general understanding from every person I know who has seen the movie is essentially, uh, the Joker starts an Antifa like movement to, to root out and attack the rich, uh, that, that if you're going to put politics into it, the, the, the Joker mobilizes a, a mob against the rich. Uh, that's not exactly a Trumpist movement. It's amazing how people pour their politics into this. Now, I bring this up really only because CNN is part of Warner Media. The Joker is part of the DC Universe, which is part of Warner Media. And my, I, I have no inside knowledge on this. I, I have good relations with people at CNN, but I don't have any knowledge of this. And they wouldn't tell me. They would never admit something like this anyway. I wonder how much of this is CNN using the Joker to signalize their to signalize to signal their corporate independence. The Joker is is standing up and they are standing up is uh CNN standing up against this is not a good thing for Warner, but it's a very good thing for CNN. Because CNN is showing its journalistic independence. And this comes on the heels of the CNN story. CNN has a CNN outlet in China and in Hong Kong. And CNN defending freedom of expression and the right of protest is a good sign for that network. And hopefully other networks will follow suit. Uh, In a day and age where so many news organizations aren't willing to exert any sort of independence... Now, that's good that they are, but also really stupid that the Joker is the thing on which they want to express independence. Just silly.